Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Thank you for joining us on Easy's Community Focus, where we look at the issues that matter in South Florida and the people and organizations that are making a difference. The COVID-19 pandemic has sort of stolen 2020 from us, from the onset of the pandemic to its spread throughout the country and the world, to having to shut down the economy, dealing with the challenges of reopening, facing potential dangers of spreading the disease at the same time as we all know that it's urgent to get back to work trying to recapture some financial security. Now, with all of our attention focused on the issues around COVID and the economy, we have to remind ourselves about all of the people who, in addition to concerns about COVID, are also still facing other difficulties, whether it's mental illness, poverty, or other life-threatening diseases, for example, cancer. Anyone who has battled cancer or had a loved one face the challenge of cancer knows that that in itself is all-consuming. Now add to that the fears associated with going to hospitals and the drop in funding for all of those nonprofits that are there to help people struggling with those situations, the combination of fundraisers that have been canceled and people who have been scrimping to make ends meet and haven't had spare money for donations. Well, we come to a situation where the need is greater than ever and the challenges are just as real as ever. So now that things are starting to open up again, what I would like to do, ideally for the rest of the year, is bring some focus back to those organizations that are helping the people facing some of the most difficult challenges. And Ronald McDonald House has been there for years, the charities that help keep families together when children are facing cancer treatment. And I'm so happy to welcome the executive director of Ronald McDonald House South Florida, Soraya Rivera-Moya. Thank you for talking to us today. Oh, thank you for having me, Ellen. It's a pleasure to be with you here today in this call. Soraya, I'm sure that you have been impacted, as the other nonprofits that I've spoken to have, not only because of the loss of your fundraising events and people struggling with their own finances, but also cuts in the state budget for funding for nonprofits. And yet children are still getting cancer. They still need a place where their families can be with them when they have to travel. And there's almost an irony about your motto about keeping families together when we've all been told to stay apart and social distance. So how is Ronald McDonald House handling things? How are you getting by so far? Well, first of all, you know, as, as you have said previously, this has affected everybody. So imagine our families, you know, having a sick child, you know, having to deal with that particular situation and then COVID came along. You know, it was very stressful. You know, the majority of, of the families we usually assist, they come from out of the city, from other counties, from the state of Florida and even international. Since March 17, we stopped taking new families at the Ronald McDonald House mm. because of their situation. At that moment, our 31-bedroom facility, which is located right here on the grounds of Jackson Memorial Hospital, we were assisting around 22 families. You know, little by little, some of them were able to go back home. They were medically clear to be able to go home with their child. But especially the ones that were not able to imagine what happened when our borders were closed. Right. So we have, yes. 
We have families from the Bahamas, from Haiti, Dominican Republic, even Mexico. So that type of situation caused more stress because, you know, they were not really sure when they would be able to go back home. So we began to downsize a little bit every week, every week. Again, some families were able to go home. And, you know, we were here in our little world, if you think about it. You know, we stopped accepting volunteers, which were so important on a daily basis to have them assisted in many, many things, doing thank you letters, accepting in-kind donations, organizing the house activities. So the house at some point, you know, started to feel so lonely and, oh. and, you know, it was stressful, you know, for yeah. everybody. You know, During that time, March and April were very, very difficult months. But you know what? The beauty of this is that our community never stopped giving. Oh, our community gosh. never stopped providing meals to our families. Even though the volunteers could not come here to cook themselves, they were all doing the delivery right here in our entrance, you know, making sure that we had masks, making sure that we had gloves, disinfecting products. You know, our hospital partner, Jackson Memorial, has been a tremendous, tremendous support system to us with guidance of disinfecting, making sure that our families were taken care of, making sure that our staff was taken care of, that, you know, if somebody needed to do some sort of testing, they were there for us. But it has definitely changed everything. As you said, we had to cancel all our fundraising events. We were supposed to have three on the calendar since April until June. Those have to be postponed at the moment. Now we decided to cancel them. But again, you know, we have tried to keep everybody in place, our families safe. And now that we're almost at the end of the stretch, you know, unfortunately, I have to admit that I had to make the decision of closing the doors of the Ronald McDonald House oh. this week. Yes, we had some positive cases. And even though all these months we have been perfect, perfect dealing with the sanitation and the cleanliness, we had to make the decision to close for at least two weeks. So our board of directors decided to place those families in a hotel and they are taken care of. And we're actually continuing to provide whatever they need, whether it's meals, groceries, pharmacy items, our staff, and some of our virtual volunteers are there for them. So right now we're closed, but we're looking forward to reopen. We have begun to disinfect the house and doing everything that is needed. So at least I can bring those families back because everybody tested negative and the staff tested negative, which is Oh, great. thank goodness. So okay. at least those are great news. So I think we should be back in business within the next week or so. Thank so. goodness for that. I can't imagine <laughs> the terror for the parents of the children who are undergoing treatment, knowing Correct. that that puts them at higher risk for COVID mm -hmm. and then Correct. hearing that, you know, you have a concern about it. How are you helping people with the emotional aspect of the dual fight that they have now? Well, you know that, you know, we, we have always taken care of our families and, you know, we rely a lot on our social workers. You know, their social workers are the ones that refer the families to the Ronald McDonald House. They know what is the criteria to refer them and they have such an amazing support system that we are able to give that to the families. And also on the staff end, you know, myself and our very dedicated staff, we have also asked for support to the hospital, you know, on the mental well-being of everybody. We communicate with our staff uh, every day, even though some are here at the house or some are working remotely. We try to do every other day, you know, Zoom meetings or right. team meetings. And, you know, we give support to each other and, you know, we laugh. And, you know, some of the things that I have implemented as well is we created a little bit of a, like a wellness competition. You know, a lot of people are at home. So we decided to do a step challenge. Ah, so okay. everybody's taking their steps. 
And, you know, we decided to give prizes at the end of each month for the top winner. And, you know, that keeps us connected. That keeps us in sanity. And actually, you know, some of our staff members have, you know, lost weight. They have <laughs> okay. to think about themselves a little better. So, you know, those type of things have really helped out, you know, to keep it together. Yeah, I mean, so. we're so fortunate that we have the kind of technology nowadays. Exactly. You know, I look at history and I think about that pandemic 100 years ago, the Spanish flu, and they didn't have the things that we have that have helped us get through this um, without having to completely stay away from everyone or be at threat of, you know, five times as many people getting sick. Exactly. I'm curious about the children who have been staying with you. You know, they're so resilient to start with. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we see the stories about the children who are smiling even when they've lost all their hair because of chemotherapy and they find ways to bond with each other. Do do you believe that they're actually more resilient about COVID than other people are? I guess so. But you know what? I have to say that, you know, the beauty of our organization is, like you said, is, you know, families connect. You know, even though they might have a child with a condition such as cancer, maybe the next door neighbor might have a child who's a preemie. You know, we have different conditions that we assist the families with. And the fact that, you know, not having a communal place or not being able to connect to each other is very difficult. And that is the whole opposite. The house is the whole opposite of what is happening right now. Right. So some of the kids have been a little bit, you know, it has been a little bit stressful for them. I would say, you know, they actually, if you ask them, they'll say, you know, we miss the activities that you all plan. We missing the therapy dogs. So one of the things that we implemented is that we connected with previous families that have stayed here and we did a Zoom pet therapy day or afternoon and a lot of the kids connected and what we did is that if you don't have a pet, kind of like do like a little show and tell about your favorite plush toy. And uh, so we connected the families that way and they were so happy to see each other, especially like the ones from Florida. For example, we have a lot of families that came from Orlando, Tampa, or even other uh, counties as well, our states, we connected with all of them and we had a few families and they were so happy to see each other. That was like one of the most exciting days that we've ever had since COVID. What's so interesting Um, is how creative everyone has become in finding (laughs) ways around the restrictions of COVID. Mm -hmm. And again, thank goodness we have the technology. So, Mm -hmm. you know, with losing, you know, three of your big fundraisers, You do have an ongoing campaign that helps, at least in some way, with some fundraising throughout the year, and that is your Roundup campaign. Tell us about that. Oh, that is wonderful. Thanks to our corporate partner, McDonald's. You know, McDonald's is uh, one of our founding partners, and they have always been very, very supportive to other years. But this time, uh, we feel that it's a little bit different, the support. McDonald's really stepped up to the plate in the fact that they decided to create this campaign, ongoing campaign. It actually started last year, you know, in different phases, but now has been so much active. And McDonald's own operators in the entire state of Florida, not only South Florida, but in the entire state of Florida, they decided to create a goal of raising a million dollars for all the different Ronald McDonald houses in the state. With There are 13 houses. And you know what happened? They did it. 
Wow. In six weeks, they raised $1.2 million for the houses. In six weeks? And it weeks? continues. Wow. In six weeks. Oh, my gosh. And it continues. The Roundup program, actually, even though it's not being promoted that much right now, but it's still ongoing. So I really encourage people to, when you go to the drive-thru, which actually, you know, next week, they're going to open the lobbies, hopefully. But if you go to the drive-thru for now, and if you order your favorite coffee, dessert, or meal, just tell that crew member to round up to your next dollar. Those cents they order, if it's one ninety nine, one cent to the next dollar, which is two dollars, is going to go to support Ronald McDonald Health. That, and it really makes such a big difference. That is the clearest explanation of <laughs> how every dollar counts. You know, we say that so exactly. often, and I know there are people who feel like, I just don't have the money right now. But when you talk about rounding up to the next dollar, bringing a million dollars in, yes. it is proof that it works. Yeah, our market, actually our South Florida restaurants and thanks to those amazing customers that actually some of them are listening to you right now. We could not be so, you know, so grateful for that support. You have no idea during this time how this makes a difference to us and to our current families and to the ones that are going to come along when we reopen our doors. In our market, we raised $250,000. That is tremendous. Florida McDonald's restaurants. We're looking forward to continue this promotion because we really need it. Well, I've already got Egg McMuffin in my head now that you're talking to <laughs> Oh, me. wonderful. Yes. <laughs> and oh, I'm just it. thinking, yeah, how many other people now have McDonald's breakfast and coffee on their mind and are going to head out now? And I'm going to urge them to, to go and when you get your bill, round it up. Whatever it is, you know that if you're rounding it up to the next dollar, it's less than a dollar that you are donating. But Mm -hmm. like you say, when you've got a million people combined or two Mm -hmm. or three million just in South Florida, it makes a huge difference. So please, anytime you go to McDonald's right now, round up. It's so simple. Just say, please round me up for Ronald McDonald's house and they will take care of it. And you and the people who work with you will then have the funding to make sure that you are able to keep things sanitized, COVID free and continue to serve the children and their families who so very much need your help. There are so many families out there that need our assistance. I know. Um, They depend on us. Absolutely. And we're just really, you know, I think we're all starting to get used to the idea of living with some bit of uncertainty and just taking it a day at a time. Day by day. You know, like you said, things are starting to reopen. You know, Mayor Jimenez is allowing more openings as of this coming week. So Mm -hmm. it's progress. And as long as people, yeah, you know, if people just follow the guidelines, wash their hands, Mm -hmm. social distance, wear a mask. Exactly. And we will go on. Take it one day at a time. Exactly. One day at a time. And, you know, our goal right now is to make sure that Ronald McDonald's House South Florida goes on as well. Thank you for... Oh, no, please. Thank you. And one more thing before I forget, if anybody would like to visit our website, we also have other ways that people can support the organization. And those are wishlist items. For example, gloves, masks, disinfecting products. We usually every week we have on our social media channels, specifically on Facebook and Instagram, we have Wishlist Wednesday. And we have so many things to share that I encourage everybody to follow our social media channels okay. if possible or visit our website. What are your social media channels? Our handles are R-M-H-C-S-F-L, and that's for Instagram and Twitter. And then for Facebook is R-M-H-C South Florida. And our website is www.rmhc 
southflorida.org. And if you have any trouble remembering the order of the letters, <laughs> just think Ronald McDonald House, R-M-H-C, South Florida. Thank right. you. Thank you so much, Soraya Rivera oh, no, Moya. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it and uh, stay safe. And you too. For our next segment of EZ's Community Focus, we continue to look at how COVID-19 is impacting people's health, not from the virus itself, but the secondary impact that people are delaying treatment for other health issues while they're quarantining or they're trying to avoid being in doctor's offices or hospitals because of concerns about exposure to the virus. Some things can wait, others can't. One of the things that probably should not be delayed is your heart health and care for heart disease. We spoke about this in February, which is Heart Month, but it never hurts for us to be reminded of the importance of our heart health, especially since we've just spent a good part of the last six months mostly indoors and fairly sedentary. So we're going to talk about the importance of heart health and, I hope, allay some fears about being in a medical environment. My next guest is an interventional cardiologist with Tenet Florida Physician Services in Lauderdale Lakes and Miami. He is certified by the American Board of Internal Medicine in Cardiovascular Disease, Interventional Cardiology, and Internal Medicine on staff at Florida Medical Center, a campus of North Shore in Fort Lauderdale, as well as North Shore Medical Center in Miami. I'm very happy to welcome Dr. Juan Velasquez. Thank you for being here. Good morning, Ellen. Thank you so much for having me and giving me the opportunity to talk about my passion. Oh, I love that. When I hear someone say that this is their passion, that tells me that you are always going to do the best you can for your patients. Let's start with this issue of how COVID-19 has impacted people taking care of their health during quarantining guidelines. And, you know, now we're six months into this. Why should people not delay their heart health care? There's a couple characteristics of the heart as an organ that I would like to mention that are very specifically related to that. The first one is that the heart's a very dynamic organ. It never stops moving. And as a result of that, there's different types of heart disease that are very frequently rapidly progressive. So things that would otherwise be thought of as chronic, such as valvular heart problems, they could progress rapidly for the reason that I just mentioned. The heart is very dynamic. It never stops moving. And so if you have a problem with one of your heart valves and um, you have symptoms from it and you decide to wait, you might end up getting to a situation where doing something for the treatment of that condition could be very high risk. And the second feature about the heart that's uh, very pertinent to this particular question is that the heart does not regenerate. So if you lose heart cells, for example, in the setting of a heart attack, those cells don't come back. Mm. And so as a result of that, you know, if you lose heart cells as a result of a heart attack, you might end up with heart failure and electrical complications such as atrial fibrillation. Okay, and none of us want that. But we know that people have a tendency to think that mm, it's not going to happen to me. What are the risk factors for heart disease? So the five traditional cardiovascular risk factors are diabetes, hypertension, or high blood pressure, high cholesterol, tobacco smoking, and having a family history of cardiovascular disease. And when you're talking family history, is that first generation? Does it go second generation? Are we talking siblings, parents, grandparents? That's a very good question because, you know, when you think about it, 
pretty much most of us have a relative that has had any kind of cardiovascular problem. But in reality, family history only counts as a risk factor if it's a first-degree relative and if it happened at a premature age which is less than 45 years of age for males and less than 55 years of age for females. And then, you know, when you mentioned diabetes, hypertension, and high cholesterol, those are all things that are interrelated and have a lot to do with your diet and obesity. And I know that, you know, during this time of quarantine, many of us have turned to food for comfort and something to do. You know, it's one of the few things that we've felt like we can control in our lives right now. And they haven't always been good choices. We've been sedentary for the most part. So how does that play in with the diabetes and the hypertension and all of those risk factors? That's an excellent question, Ellen. Diet is definitely something that's very relevant when it comes to cardiovascular disease. Diet or having a healthy diet per se is not a risk factor individually. Instead, it has a relationship with three of those five risk factors that I just mentioned, specifically hypertension, high cholesterol, and diabetes. And that brings me to another type of pandemic that has been going on for many, many years, which is the obesity pandemic, like you pointed out. And so high caloric consumption and diets that are rich in carbohydrates and saturated fat lead to obesity. And obesity, and more specifically, the accumulation of fat in the abdominal area leads to a number of metabolic changes, which together we refer to as the metabolic syndrome, which causes inflammation of the blood cells with resultant cardiovascular disease, such as heart attack and stroke. Metabolic syndrome is a phrase that I've heard a lot more in the last few years as it's become better understood. Can you turn the clock back on metabolic syndrome if you have it? Absolutely. A lot of those metabolic changes are reversible if you change your situation in terms of your body mass index. Body mass index is a parameter that everybody should follow. The body mass index is essentially a parameter that we follow to determine how big somebody is objectively. It takes into account the patient's weight and the patient's height. So the normal BMI is between 20 and 25. Everybody should have a BMI of between 20 and 25. So let's say, for example, that you have a BMI of 35, you have a lot of abdominal fat, and as a result of that, you have high cholesterol, you're diabetic. There's a very significant, very high likelihood that your situation will change from the metabolic standpoint if you get your BMI down to a normal level, which again is between 20 and 25. What are your recommendations for achieving that goal? There are a million diet books and a million exercise books. How do we know what's the best way for us as an individual to lose weight and become more physically fit and heart healthy? Well, you know, you're absolutely right. There's a lot of diets that have been looked at in terms of their ability to modify morbidity and mortality from cardiovascular disease. What I would have to say about diet is that the diet that people should be leaning towards when it comes to staying heart healthy is a Mediterranean dietary pattern. And essentially what that means is that 50% of your diet should be plant-based, 30% should be protein, and 20% should be carbohydrates. And of the 30% protein, most of it should be fish. There's a lot of resources online regarding the Mediterranean diet, and there's a lot of little details to it. 
But what I would have to say about diet is that is the Mediterranean dietary pattern is the dietary pattern that people should be trying to follow to stay heart healthy, and not only heart healthy, but also healthy from many other standpoints. And then as far as exercise, of course, it's a formal recommendation from the American Heart Association and the American College of Cardiology to do exercise. And what I would have to say about that is that people should exercise at least four times a week for 45 minutes to an hour. And there's a lot of resources on social media, such as Instagram. There's a lot of people giving free sessions of exercise, and people should definitely take advantage of that. Yes, and there are things you can do that don't require expensive equipment or any equipment at all. It just takes making the decision that you're going to do it. I agree. I agree. I 100% agree with you. I think it's in many occasions, it's not the lack of resources or the lack of guidance that becomes the limiting factor to exercise is the lack of awareness of the importance of exercise. Yeah, I see that comes up in almost every disease that I talk to someone about. Exercise is the best thing, whether physically or for your brain as well. It's a new awareness, I think, again, in the last few years, I guess, the oxygen that it gets into the brain and into the bloodstream has healing properties. Absolutely. Puts you at a different level, not just from the physiologic standpoint when it comes to cardiovascular health, but also from the mental and emotional standpoint. Now, what are the symptoms of a heart attack and how are they different in men and women? Well, you know, the typical presentation of a heart attack is that of pressure in the central part of the chest, which happens in association with physical activity or emotional stress, which could migrate to the arm the neck, or the jaw. And the traditional description is like an elephant sitting on their chest. It's the typical presentation. That being said, there's atypical presentations. There are certain populations that are more prone to having atypical presentations of a heart attack or chest pain that's coming from lack of blood flow in the heart muscle. And those populations are diabetic patients, women, and elderly patients. And so in those patients, lack of blood flow to the heart due to a blockage could manifest itself as dizziness or just shortness of breath or pain that's not necessarily in the center of the chest. It could be located on the right side or or the left side. So there's definitely some patients that could present atypically, and, and female patients are definitely a population that could have an atypical presentation of a heart attack. And if that's the case, how would you know that that's what you're having? Is there a way to know, or is aspirin still considered the thing to take if you think you're having a heart attack? Well, you know, if you have risk factors and you have symptoms that are very unusual, that you've never experienced before, symptoms that are progressing rapidly, you should definitely 100% seek for help. That's definitely, definitely the case. Aspirin, as you pointed out, is a medication that we use very, very frequently in the setting of a heart attack. And it's something that people should definitely keep in mind and consider if they have a typical presentation. Now, that being said, I think people should be really careful about auto-prescribing themselves with these kinds of things. And more than anything, I think they should seek for help anytime they have unusual symptoms. And if they have symptoms that could represent the typical manifestations for a heart attack, they should seek for help immediately by calling 911. And again, if you have atypical symptoms, symptoms that are not necessarily the prototype of a heart attack, but they're very unusual and you've never experienced them before, you should definitely seek for help. Do people come to you first 
when they think they have heart disease or do they go to their primary doctor who then refers them to you? It depends on the situation. There's patients that have little more dramatic and acute situations that come in through the ER and I happen to see them very soon after the presentation. And those include patients with the compensated heart failure, the compensated arrhythmias and heart attacks. And there's patients that have a more stable situation, a more chronic problem that needs addressing, but not necessarily through the ER. And those patients could come to me as a referral from a primary doctor. Now, when you talk about interventional cardiology, what exactly is that? When it comes to cardiology, there's different specialties. And I always like to use a comparison that's very helpful in making things clear for people. When it comes to cardiology, there's cardiologists that see patients in the hospital and see patients in the office and they read cardiac imaging studies. Those are referred to as general cardiologists. But when it comes to cardiologists that do procedures, there's plumbers and there's electricians. Okay. <laughs> so when we talk about interventional cardiology, we're talking about the guys that do the plumbing, the guys that go in with a catheter and open up clogged arteries. And then the electricians are the electrophysiologists, which have the ability to go in and put a pacemaker if you need a pacemaker, or go in with a special type of catheter and burn an area in the heart that's creating an arrhythmia. I love that distinction. That's the best analogy I have heard for explaining the different types of heart treatments. Now, at what point does someone need interventional cardiology treatments in the course of heart disease? A lot of patients that present to the hospital with heart attacks, you know, essentially what a heart attack is, is a black buildup in one of the arteries that supplies the heart muscle, which then has a little uh, rupture or fissure on top of the plaque leading to formation of a blood clot. Those patients, most of the time, end up going to the cardiac catheterization lab and needing an interventional treatment. And then there are patients with a more stable situation that have plaque buildup that has been going on for many years and scanned to the point where there's a lot of restriction to blood flow to an area of the heart. And those patients, even though they're not presenting with a heart attack, sometimes end up needing to go to the cardiac catheterization lab for an interventional treatment, which essentially is going in the artery and getting a, a tiny wire down distal to the lesion and deploying a stent to open up the artery and restoring blood flow to an area of the heart that was previously lacking it. For people who are concerned, don't want to be exposed to people with COVID-19, what is Florida Medical Center, North Shore Medical Center in Miami, what are you doing to ensure that people who don't have COVID are not exposed to those who do? We have a lot of protocols in place. Both institutions, both Florida Medical Center and, and North Shore Medical Center have been very strict in protecting patients and healthcare personnel from COVID. We're doing everything that the government and the CDC is instructing us to do. And so people could be 100% reassured that if they end up needing to come to the hospital to seek for cardiovascular help, they're going to be safe. We're going to be doing everything that we can to prevent them from acquiring COVID-19. Anyone who has any concerns about heart disease after listening to you, I think would feel very comfortable with you as their doctor and taking care of them. If someone is interested in making an appointment or wants more information, where do they call and what is the website? The phone number for my office is 954 914-0686. Now, I'm going to repeat that. It's 
714-764-0686. We're open and we're, you know, we're taking new patients and we'd be more than happy to help patients with their cardiovascular concerns. Do you do any telehealth? Absolutely. Yeah, that's a very exciting new modality, or at least new for us, that we've been using to see patients, and it's worked out great. There's multiple platforms that we're using, and the patients that we've seen via telemedicine using any of the platforms have been very pleased. So we are 100% doing telemedicine, yes. Excellent. And then the website is tfpsdocs.com, or for all of Tenet Health, it's tenethealth.com. Dr. Juan Velasquez, Interventional Cardiologist with Tenet Florida Physician Services. Thank you so much, Ellen. It was a pleasure having this conversation with you. Absolutely. Thank you for listening this morning. If you have questions about the program or would like to suggest a topic, you can email me at ellen at easy93.com. Join me again next Sunday at 6.50 for an all-new edition of Easy's Community Focus. Please stay safe, wear your mask, social distance, and have a great day. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.